Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the tree. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. It's Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, your Arizona tradition for since 1988. 8 o'clock hours, our outdoor living hour. We're in the second Saturday of the month, which means we are talking trees with ISA certified arborists Sarah Maitland and John Eisenhower of Integrity Save a Tree. We have a tree of the month. We've got our nat- our talking tree points. We've got a little trivia. Uh, you've got a new tree word we're all going to learn today. And there's an uh, opportunity for Arizona to have a voice in what the next four champion trees are. We'll dive into all of that in this hour, and we'll take your calls at one 767 4348 That's one for you if you'd like to talk trees. You can also text 411-923 or email us at info at rosyonthehouse.com. If you'd like to snap a picture of a, a plant or insect you need, need a little help identifying, you can send it to us and we'll do our best to give you the best answer we possibly can. John, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. What tree did you bring in here today? Well, our tree of the month this month is a, a fun one. It's a crepe myrtle. It's a Lagerstroemia indica. You know, if you learn these botanical names, you know, it gives you definitely gives you some street cred with all the green nerds, you know. And uh, that's one that's kind of fun. It kind of rolls off the tongue. Lagerstroemia. Well, I'm indica. glad it gives you cred with somebody. <laughs> with somebody. We're not it, sure. it just confuses. We're not sure if you want to hang it, with those green nerds It just confuses nerds poor old Rosie. I, I don't see a lot of them on the street, though, I'll be honest. <laughs> Uh, but the crepe myrtle is fun. It's a fun tree. You know, it's it's really common throughout the Midwest and the South. I remember when I went to Texas for the first time, I saw these beautiful flowering trees all along the freeway, and they were crepe myrtles, and they were beautiful. Uh, it's a summer to fall blooming tree. So uh, those of you who want who are here only during the winter probably um, uh, wouldn't be a great tree for you because you won't be able to enjoy the bloom if you're here only during the winter season. But it is a very nice tree. Um, they grow a little bit better at some of the higher elevations. So Tucson has a lot, a lot more of them, and they're planted more commonly there than they are in Phoenix. But they are adaptable to the low desert. There are a lot of cultivars that they, um, you know, every year it seems they develop new cultivars that are have certain adaptations uh, for certain climates and soil conditions. And there's several that are really uh, appropriate for Arizona. The, the bloom is pretty impressive. They're white, pink, red, or lavender. And something that's really cool, I was talking to uh, Sarah about it this morning, is, uh, is the trunks. And they are uh, remind you a little bit of, of like the um, Chinese elm tree. Yeah, Chinese elm, even like the rainbow eucalyptus or the, the sycamores, it's got a real molting kind of colorful trunk that even in when they're deciduous, which a lot of them are still deciduous now, the trunk is beautiful. Yeah, it's a white, a white, creamy white uh, trunk with kind of a mottled brown patches, and uh, they're just that's that's kind of cool to have as a uh, sort of a kicker is to have, not only have a beautiful uh, green uh, tree and and with this incredible bloom, but then to have a trunk that's really unique and gnarly and kind of uh, just a, a attractive and aesthetic in and of itself. Uh, what about the? Uh, um, what else about? Let me see. We've got the some other notes here on the crepe myrtle. 
Um, it is a smaller tree. That's what I wanted to make uh, mention on. Uh, if you're looking for that kind of patio tree that's not going to be disruptive and, and destroy your hardscape in the area, it's not going to outgrow its landscape purpose uh, uh, really quickly like many uh, trees do, this would be a good one. You know, it's a, it's a nice tree for those smaller areas. Takes full sun, although, you know, maybe not against a, a west wall that would be uh, um, difficult, uh, especially the younger trees get blasted with that afternoon sun. But uh, they are, are good in full sun, and you might want to ask your local nursery for the uh, to give you a description of the varieties they have in stock and, and ask, of course, uh, what the bloom color is because you want to be sure you, you select one that's going to be uh, to your liking. We should really um, point out the ASU plant list. Um, if you just Google ASU plant list, um, Chris Martin, the um, past professor that ran the urban horticulture there, put together this great reference. And you just go there, click on trees, and click on uh, the crepe myrtle. And at the lower part of it, there's several varieties that are adaptable to the desert. And it used to be a tree that kind of you put in the shade in the back corner because it couldn't take the sun. I was at a house this week, and it was on the northwest corner of the front yard with gravel. And it was it was very healthy and beautiful. Yeah, thanks for mentioning Chris's website. That's a, a great reference for a lot of other trees and, sh- and, and, and shrubs. And you can, and I love it because they've got lots of pictures, a lot of photos, so you can kind of get a, a look at what it's going, uh, what it looked like mature. And uh, yeah, it's a great resource. Thank you, Dr. Chris Martin, for that that labor of love because that's been a, a real go-to resource. You know what I didn't do, and I should have thought of it ahead of time, and I'm only thinking of it now, but these trees that aren't that common, they may be a little hard to find in the nursery. Mm-hmm. You know, a nursery, to stay in business, they have to sell what – they have to stock well, what sells. Sure. And if it's not a popular tree, it could be a little harder to find. Um, so we'll have to do that. What what local nurseries are selling the crepe myrtle? And you said um, Tucson, they're a little more popular, so it might even be a trip – uh, to the old Pueblo, to, you know, Savanos, sure. Rilito, they've got a lot of great local nurseries down there that might, it, it might be a, a trip south to, to find one. Yeah, and, and because uh, most nurseries now, and everyone, Everett is more tech savvy, most nurseries now have good websites too with a lot of good photos, and and those are also a great resource. I know Mountain State's uh, Wholesale Nursery has some really great photos and a lot of good uh, materials so you can go kind of uh, thumb through the, you know, um, their index, if you so to speak, and you know, and look at look at the trees before you go by. But yeah, you can just get on the phone and call around some of the nurseries and ask them. You know, hey, do you, you know what what kind of uh, cultivars of crepe myrtle do you have available? And and before you go um, driving around. And you said wholesale, so if they had it, they would then have to find a well, landscaper to buy it for them this is for true. the install. But I'm just saying they've got a great resource in terms of, of You can at least look, find it. Yeah, no, you can go look at their website because they've got some great uh, color photos as well. And that's the crepe myrtle. And you said there's a number of different varieties named uh, like the Bourbon Street and the Baton Rouge. Well, I, Are those yeah, I noticed there's, that, a, there's a Dixie line of cultivars. Of, uh, they actually make these crepe myrtles for, in shrub size too if you want some that are just going to be great for a, that four to you know three to uh, uh, or to five to six foot height for a, a, a little barrier they make a lot of little crepe myrtles cultivars and a couple of them are called the Dixie cultivars there's a bourbon Street there's a New Orleans and uh, yes yeah, some kind of nice uh, southern ones I thought were appropriate for Louisiana <laughs> so that's our tree of the month the crepe myrtle and how elevation wise you said they're popular in Tucson I mean this probably is something a little 
not not something you'd see up above, you know, three, four thousand feet elevation, probably. I don't know. Maybe a listener or two could call in and ask us how high you've got your crepe myrtles surviving, you know. But they are deciduous, by the way, so they're they're going to lose their leaves in the in the winter. If there's one con for all the pros, all the benefits, there is one, and that would be that they look pretty ghostly. In fact, they look dead in the winter. You know, I mean, they 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 look all grayed out, and it's it's so odd because you have like the desert willow which is a big, flowery, beautiful tree, but, man, does it look uh, pretty lousy in the winter. It and, doesn't have the pretty bark either. No, and, and, then, and then the crepe myrtle is much like the desert willow in that it, it's, it has this beautiful, beautiful showy bloom in the fall, but a few months later in the winter it looks pretty ghostly. So the, 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 one, the one good thing is that we don't have a long winter here, so we don't have a long time to look at it. The, our deciduous period, our, 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 um, you know, that... Is, is our dormancy is pretty pretty short lived? It might be only a month or two before those trees are putting their leaves back on. So that's our tree of the month, the crepe myrtle. We've got a number of talking tree uh, to dos as well for caring and maintaining for the trees that around our properties. Speaking of deciduous trees, um, some people might ask, is it too late to prune my deciduous trees? Because deciduous tree pruning normally is done in December and January. Uh, ideally, but you can prune deciduous trees any time of year with the idea that you're reducing the dosage of pruning uh, as the temperatures increase. You know, ideally, it'd be nice to prune all of our deciduous trees in December and January, but if you're reducing the amount of pruning you're doing, you can pretty much groom even your citrus trees. You can prune into the hotter months of the year, but you just need to reduce the amount of foliage you're removing. You know, if you need to kind of groom your citrus trees in the middle of the summer and you know that you shouldn't be pruning them heavily, just just do that. Just tuck them in, you know, re, you know, reduce those little maverick branches that tend to hang out uh, out of the main canopy and trim those back. And you can do that pretty much any time. So if you've waited too long, you know, waited this long to do your deciduous tree pruning, you've got another month or two that you could do some pretty significant reduction pruning and some structural improvement. So you still have time to do that. But that being said, this is prime time for pruning your evergreen trees. You know, all of your trees that are uh, that hold their leaves all year long, this is really your best time. We try to not be pruning too many of our desert trees in the middle of the summer, except for the mesquite, which we actually recommend uh, summer pruning because they are so vigorous. And they um, we like to actually let them put on some spring growth uh, and then prune them as close to the monsoon as we can without leaving them so heavy that they're they're prone to breakage in the summer. But usually our mesquites will prune May or June. That's a good time because it's kind of pre-monsoon, uh, you know, keep them, get them safe uh, for the summer. But, um, but but letting them have a lot of that, that, that spring push of growth so that when you do your pruning in late or mid, mid-summer, they hold their prune for more of the calendar year. If you prune your mesquite trees now, it— by midsummer, you it, they've replaced all the foliage you've taken out, and and that's you know probably not a good thing for them to be that heavy in the going into the summer monsoons. It seems like a lot of our natives get overwatered, um, pretty pretty significantly. Commonly, you yeah. go out in the desert, and they're still all alive and growing there, but we put them in our yards and we water them, and they grow very aggressively. And well, I I'm guilty of this myself. Our mesquites. I was pruning three, four times a year, just how big they were going. Yeah. And finally, 
they got a big enough canopy and they were covering the shade, I really dialed back my watering a lot. Um, yeah, mesquites are a tree that really, they don't have much of a filter, you know. Yeah. So, some trees will take a little more water than they need um, in turf areas, oak or ash, um, but a mesquite, will just, it'll just take it all up and it'll just grow vigorously. Um, probably on the pruning notes, John, I, w- I, would, I would point out that um, if you're going to do later year pruning on your citrus and your evergreens and things like that, the key thing is to not expose the bark to sun, and that's probably the most um, important thing to do. The calls are lining up, but it's time for a break. We'll, take, uh, we'll be right back and get to your calls along with additional uh, Talking Trees bullet points that we have for March. Little trivia fact for you. You're going to regret handing me these playing cards, but this all is all said and done. <laughs> Save a tree put together these. Can you give this, me a copy of those, John, this, so I can <laughs> be here? This trivia uh, card game, and this one approximately how many species of trees are native to the United States? 100, 250, 600, or 950? And this was submitted by a Save a Tree uh, arborist in Norcross, Georgia, Dave Kolb. How many trees do you think in America? Got to put this out to the listeners. You got to call it in or text it. My, my guess would have been much higher than even the highest option on that card. Really? Yeah, absolutely. It, it would have been I don't know, wrong. So there's no none of the above on that question? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it was D. 950 uh, trees are native to the United States. Now, now how many species... Are there total in the United States, including all the introduced species? I'll have to keep non-natives? digging through my trivia cards for we'll that one. We'll have to one. find <laughs> out an answer to that one. It's got to be in the thousands and thousands. Oh, because a lot of the stuff that we have, I mean, even citrus isn't even native yeah. to uh, America. And how prominent is that today? Yeah. Well, the Desert Botanical Garden brought, you know, just bring all these botanical gardens from around the world. They love to bring in plants that are suitable to their climate zone all around the world. So we have... Trees oh, from the Middle Aleppos, East, from Africa, not Aleppos, from Asia, Pine. South America, all the different continents are represented here in Arizona because they they all have arid climate zones in their parts. Are Aleppo pines from Syria, yeah. the Afghan pines from Afghanistan. So we have all these South American trees as well that that are introduced here. Southern Mexico, a lot of places, a lot of trees grow well here if you, do, you just have the water. We'll have to see if we can find that one before our next talking trees. Uh, program we have john and mesa will start us off on the calls at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight one triple eight rosie for you welcome john how may we help you hi i yesterday i had a fellow a yard man he planted a okatia replanted it dug it out of the back put it in the front he told me that i should water it uh, almost every day for a couple of weeks and he told me to put a bag of uh, steer manure on uh, that didn't sound right to me, so I just I thought that sounded like be kind of wet for uh, Okatia, but I'm calling to see if that's right. Well, good morning, John. Um, this I think you're um, you're correct, and that's not that's not what you want to do. Um, you want to keep the soil moist, but it's my understanding with Okatia that you um, you want to imitate the rain. They take their moisture in from all the little spines down their plant, and transplanting is a difficult thing with Okatias. And even when we harvest them from the desert, you get about a 50-50 chance uh, of, of them taking, yeah, of survival. 
And in the nurseries, you know, they pot them up and about 50% of them survive. And, and so you don't want anything to stay constantly wet. And I think the steer manure might not be the correct thing. Um, a little sand. Um, yeah, I would be- try to water the whole area deeply out to about a, an 18-inch radius around, the, around your planting hole. And then let it dry out for several days, if not a week. In this kind of weather, too, with the recent rain and the little higher humidity, you want to just let that dry out sufficiently uh, for at least a, a week or so. And you can put a, push a screwdriver down into the soil just to make sure that it's, it's staying moist. And it, when it starts to be, get difficult to put that screwdriver into the ground, you can know that it's starting to get dry and then add some water again. But no, you definitely don't want to uh, kill, set up conditions for a fungal pathogen to kill what roots you have there. So, yeah, just be very, very careful uh, with the watering. It's not good <clears throat> to you like a saguaro in the sense that you have to mark which direction it's facing. You know, the north side of the saguaro, when you replant it, it needs to be facing north. Is an ocotillo that same way? I think any plant is. I mean, it's it's beneficial to do it, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, if you can mark that, that direction it was planted before, it'll maybe help it to... Uh, yeah, adjust to that new planting site without one more stress. I've always heard ocotillos are very difficult and have that low survival rate. And you look at them out in their native and where you see them in the desert, you know, Phoenix, for the most part, and a lot of Tucson, a lot of Casa Grande, you know, where these are very flat areas. You don't see ocotillo in the flats out and out and when you're in the desert you see them on rocky hill slopes mm-hmm. and anytime there's a, a an elevation change in the terrain so i don't know if, if a mound or something would help it um i think it's the drainage yeah i think it's the drainage on the hillsides that that make them adapt to those those areas but probably the thing that is worse that is planting it too deep because the acacias you kind of got to stand them up a little bit um, people plant them too deep and really bury the crowns of them with soil, and that's probably the the key factor to not having success. Well, I know you wanted to get into a conversation on irrigation, but of all things we can do here at Rosie on the House, we can't stop the clock. The music <laughs> indicates bottom of the hour news. When we get back, we'll talk irrigation. We'll also stay in Mesa with Lisa, who wants to talk about her citrus tree, and your calls at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Summers are coming, and we're going to talk about uh, irrigation here before we get to our calls. Did you know? <clears throat> Another trivia card fact here submitted by uh, Mr. Brown out of Destin, Florida. A shade tree can reduce surface temperatures 20 to 40 degrees. And that was submitted by a guy out of Destin, Florida. I would say in Arizona in the, you know, the hottest months of the summer, you, you, you may push a little better than 40 degrees in some applications. I think so. Yeah, we've... That, that heat island effect is a pretty well-researched subject, you know, that especially in Arizona, you know, having the, the, uh, the temperature that, that the uh, concrete in the buildings uh, absorb during the day is released at night. And just you, get, you never really get this cool-down period. But, yeah, the uh, trees can make a significant difference, you know, just uh, 
so wonderful to just step out of that sun and just get into the shade of a nice tree. You know, Sarah and I have the privilege of being able to spend a fair amount of our days in people's beautiful yards, uh, walking under under trees and enjoying that 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 shade value. And as as uh, temperatures temperatures increase um, um, in coming years, if they do, those trees are going to be even more critical. Uh, they say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. So get out there, grab a tree in your local nursery and get one put in the ground. Well, we were talking a little bit more about uh, irrigation. I wanted to just ask Sarah to tell us a little bit about uh, your trees. I know you just bought a new home. And I did. you did a little bit of, I know you put in a new irrigation system. And I had asked you uh, off air, you know, did you uh, pl- bring water to your existing desert trees that are out there? Well, I'm working on it. It's kind of a trench nightmare right now. But yes, I put in 12 different valves and I put in two on either side of the acre of property that's just for the desert trees, the native trees. And I want to be able to, in the heat of the summer or when we have months and months of no water, to just give them a one-time deep water. And I think that they're going to do much better. Yeah, people, you know, often say, well, you know, once, uh, you know, if it's a native tree, it doesn't need any additional water. Well, that's not really true. You know, in our in our planted landscapes, um, you know, we uh, we do have a, uh, they, they may be native trees, but they don't have a native runoff. You know, if you look in the desert, uh, the only trees that have survived in the desert are ones that are near uh, uh, either water coming down a hillside, like Sarah mentioned, or in the, in the in the near the ravines if they're a riparian uh, plant. So they have ideally um, they've adapted to their 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 uh, topography, and unless you have swales and and have have used some permacultural methods to try to encourage water retention in your yards and direct it to the base of your trees, uh, some of our desert trees just simply need even though they're native plants, they actually do need supplemental water. Um, and uh, so I, I use those little um, those little uh, heads that you get six emitters onto a head, mm-hmm. and they're two gallons an emitter. And, and so I spread it all the way around the drip line. And one of the key things that we see trees dying from the most is being watered at the base, especially native trees. They just can't take it. So you've got to make sure you place your irrigation correctly. Yeah, keep those emitters away from the base of the tree. That sets up conditions for fungal pathogens to attack the root collar, which is really sensitive. And um, yeah, you just want to avoid that and keep that water away. Kind of goes back to your point about the Ocotillo's water like rain. Well, when the rain falls on these trees, the leaves and the canopy direct water to the edge where the at the end of the leaves. So that's Correct. where you want your drip emitters is you know, picture water falling off the very edge of that last branch. That's where you want your drip emitter on the ground. Correct. Yeah. All right, so shall we get to Lisa? Let's do it. Welcome to the program. It's one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you if you'd like to talk talk trees. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, good morning. How are you? Very good, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks for taking my call. Um, we live in a orange grove with older trees that you know the neighborhood had um, been built in. I have one tangerine tree last March, early to mid-March. Um, I had somebody come and clean out the underbrush. And the gentleman said it was going to be too hot, so he did not clean out the, uh, the canopy. So, but um, the tree over the summer 
this kind of didn't do well. I didn't have a lot of regrowth. Um, and I lost a lot of leaves. It was like, like almost like it was fall <laughs> and losing a lot of leaves. And I'm concerned that I'm going to, when this summer hits again, that I'm potentially might lose the tangerine tree, which I don't want to do or want to happen. And I didn't know if there's anything I can do. And I've been watering it ever since I saw that. I watered it up a storm, I should say, um, at least twice a week irrigation. And then our neighbor sometimes gets irrigation and then we, he gives us his overflow. So it could have had even been three times a week. I was giving it water deep water Ooh, too much huh yeah yeah you don't want to drown the roots uh, you know roots need uh, the root zone needs oxygen just as much as it needs water and it, so that's why we encourage that allowing that soil profile to dry out between waterings and that will you know always depend upon the depth of the root zone flowers and ground cover and shrubs and trees all have a different depth of roots and so the the frequency of watering would will actually increase as the with the smaller plants the flowers sometimes require almost daily watering because they're so shallow rooted and and because the intense heat of the summer sometimes they need that kind of frequent watering but you want to kind of keep those uh, um, with your tangerine tree that probably would have been a little bit too much water uh, but as you're heading into this um, new season, is is the tree still alive? It still has some green on it, but the leaves are just thin. Is that correct? Yes, that's accurate. And it did bloom and it did produce fruit, so I did get new fruit. Well, it's a it's a good sign. I would probably think about putting a, a shade cloth over the entire tree. Uh, I, I don't know how tall it is, but uh, you can put uh, stitch together some uh, panels of shade cloth and drape them over the entire tree for this uh, coming spring and summer. Because that will allow, uh, the 50-50 the shade cloth is quite nice because it allows some sunlight to get through to, to continue to promote photosynthesis to keep the tree a- actively growing. But it will protect the, um, the, the bark, as Sarah was mentioning earlier. That it, it, the critical thing is to protect the bark from uh, too much sun, which will, be, which will cause sunburn. And once the the bark uh, of any of the interior branches or the trunk are sunburned, uh, there's there that cambium is destroyed, and there's no uptake of water and nutrients, and it's uh, it's just the beginning of the end of a, a vicious cycle of of uh, defoliation and then further sunburn. So if you want to try to pull that tree out of this, you might want to think about that shade cloth. And and typically we recommend once a week in the summer, once every week to 10 days in the summer water for citrus, and once every two to four weeks in the winter. So you get a soil probe, you want to get that depth to three feet. Sometimes with irrigation, we water two or three times in one day to get the depth of water, and then let it dry out. Um, they don't like wet feet. And it's, it sounds like it's an old established orchard, too, which, you know, there's there's a lifespan to some of the trees in Arcadia. We've, and, also, had you know, a, yeah. we've also had an issue with Phytophthora and some other fungal pathogens that get into some of these older citrus groves. And you might want to consider a, a, a fertilization program starting this spring uh, to uh, to introduce some some good quality nutrients, but also... Uh, some biological, some other additives that we can add to the to the fertilizer mix, which will help to fight off some of the fungal pathogens that could be active. And especially if you had a little bit of maybe potentially some overwatering that was occurring, uh, you know, knocking down some of that fungal activity might be a, 
a part of that fertilizer, fertilize, fertilization program that we could help you with. And, and there's also organic fun, fungicides that you can spray on the bark that, that help with um, the gamosis and, and the phytophthora. So. The hard thing is <clears throat> overwatering and underwatering stress almost looks identical on the trees. So it's real easy to think this is the desert. It's hot. I need to add more water. Yeah. And in reality, the uh, too much water is uh, already the problem. But you also had citrus fertilizing on your talking tree point. So while we're on it, let's talk through proper citrus fertilization. I know <clears throat> Valentine Day, Labor Day, Memorial Day, those were the holidays that have been used forever to remember to s fertilize citrus, but you, you yeah. don't have to wait specifically for those times. No, and those are just sort of markers on your calendar to remind you that you're during to, to fertilize during those three periods of time. And those three period, periods of time are really windows uh, that, are, that extend over a three-month period. You've got your, your February, uh, March, and April is kind of our spring uh, window. And then, then from, from there, we, you know, your, your May, June, and July, and then your August, September, October. Those are the three kind of uh, three-month periods that, that we like to kind of target for our early, mid, and our late uh, fertilization so just using those kind of uh, those cal those holiday markers are, are, are good sort of um, uh, reminders, but there's actually windows of time that are, are appropriate. What we like to do with fertile, uh, citrus also, and the reason we promote this, not just with citrus, but with all of our trees, is there are elements within the fertilization program that are really critical at different times of the year, and especially with citrus for the fruit development at each, each of those periods of time, uh, they're needing um, that, that, that nutrient boost and for the for proper fruit development, and the uh, we like to try to you know take an annual um, dosage of fertilization and divide it equally into three three parts, and then distribute it you know at those three different times of year. And, and I think the the liquid fertilizers are much more beneficial. Um, it, they they drench into the soil. They soak and get all those feeder roots. Um, there are granulars out there available. The The key thing that people don't do is incorporate this into the soil. And so it, they become ineffective. You know. Yeah, and unless you have the the, broad, the water, you know, broadcast throughout the entire area where the gran, the, gran, the granular fertilizer has been applied, you're not getting the, the release of the, of the uh, uh, nutrients to the to the plant. But so. you, you do want to water the ground first, then put the fertilizer on, right? You want to apply it while the ground is wet. Yeah, you can. That's why a, a liquid fertilizer is a, is a really effective way to, to get that fertilizer into the soil. And we love to use the soil drench method because it kind of approximates the rainfall. And, and, and it's also a way to, to evenly distribute it throughout the entire root zone. Deep root fertilization is also a technique that we use, but it, it has specific applications where it's most effective, especially if you have trees that are growing in turf settings. We can push the uh, injector below the root zone of the grass. Grass is pretty stingy. If you put uh, fertilizer for trees over, over the lawn, the lawn will get about 80 to 90% of the fertilizer. So the deep root fertilization allows us to push that down below the root zone of the grass and get it down to, you know, to, the, to the trees where it's going to be... Uh, more effective. And a point for the granulars, the perfect time today would have been yesterday before the rain. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the granulars, you just missed the perfect time to naturally do it. Yeah, but you've got to pull all the gravel back and you've got to incorporate that into the soil yeah. to have it even effective or it's just mobile. 
We had a lot of information to pack in here in this last segment with our certified arborist from Save a Tree, Sarah Maitland, and John Eisenhower. Um, before we get to John's new word that he's going to bring us all today, you, the Arizona homeowners, the Arizona public, have an opportunity to pick which four trees will be recognized and honored and the uh, champion trees program of 2019 and 2020 this is something that the arizona department of uh, forestry does every year and the champion tree program is that there's a few different levels that you've got the legacy trees you've got um uh, heritage trees and then the champion trees it's the tallest known tree of that species growing in arizona and they've opened it up they have eight and they're taking the top four and you can go uh carol's going to post it on our facebook page with the link you can click on that link and it'll take you to where you can see all these different trees there's the some i've never heard of have you ever heard of a net leaf hackberry yes mm-hmm. out of gila county they've got a we were talking about one just we saw one just wasn't yesterday the reticulata our tree of the month a couple months ago yeah yeah then there's the Foothill Palo Verde. They've got an Arizona Madrone, a Velvet Mesquite, a Utah Juniper, Cat Call, Cat Claw Acacia, Acacia, a Longbeak Eucalyptus, and a Quaking Aspen. And you can go through and see where they don't tell you the exact location, but they tell you the county that it's in, how tall it is, the diameter. So it was a lot of fun. I had uh, enjoyed scrolling through that and voting for. I can't remember which ones I. Picked. I remember voting for the net leaf specifically. That was a, mm-hmm. a very interesting tree out of Gila County. But we'll have that online. And for our new word, John, says, just wonder how many of our listeners know what citherism is. Citherism. Now I won't do this because the team hates it when we do last minute giveaways. And I did that last <laughs> time y'all were on. And it's really funny because our text program wasn't working, and we got. No response. So I thought, well, maybe I said it too fast. Maybe it was spur of the moment. People weren't ready. They missed it. Uh, Maybe the question was too hard. Well, like 90 minutes later during the broadcast, we finally get a text question. I thought, oh, someone's out out there. And it was 80-plus responses to the trivia question (laughs) that came in uh, on this huge time delay. But we did finally uh, sort through it, and we picked a winner and got up them their gloves. But – are we going to give the answer? Do you want to save that for a follow-up to next month? That that could be their research project, Scytherism? Yeah, well, yeah well, it's up to you. I think it's a, it's a wonderful word that I discovered just this last year. It's called Scytherism. And you need to go um, – you can do a little bit of research. You'll figure it out. Scytherism. It has to do with – Trees, obviously. Trees. Yeah, and correct pruning, too. Yeah, because you, know, you you think about <laughs> trees and how you prune them to go through storms, and trees use all their leaves and branches together to dissipate wind energy, and that's a perfect description of that citherism. All right, well, <laughs> anyone that takes the initiative to look it up and send us the answer between now and our next talking tree program, we'll put all those names in a bucket and draw it in our yeah, starting we'll our get, next yeah we'll come up with a talking nice trees broadcast in April <laughs> prize. It's great. You had a couple final takeaways? I did. I wanted to ask uh, just a, an add-on to our discussion about watering around trees. There's a real a temptation to want to plant flowers and other small plants around the base of our trees. Sometimes our planting spaces 
allow us to, you know, to put something beautiful around the base of our trees. And what that ends up doing is, is cause, to, to keep those flowers or smaller shrubs alive, we have to water more frequently than the trees can handle. Most trees like to have their feet uh, kept dry. Uh, so you don't want to be, of course, putting water at the base of the, that root collar. Uh, so you might to, if you do want to put flowers or, or other plants around the base of your trees, don't uh, kill your trees with kindness by just putting down too much water. Move them away from the base of the tree so that the saturation pattern of the emitters will never touch the trunk of the tree. Keep them significantly. You know, if it, that means you, you need to keep them a foot away or two feet away, um, that's going to safeguard these trees from getting a fungal pathogen and end up dying. And for all of our Talking Tree bullet points, you can find them online. You have them posted on your website. Yes, we do. And you can also schedule an arborist there. That website is? Savatree.com. And there's uh, no E in that. S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E.com. That's right. S-A-V-A-T-R-E-E. John Eisenhower and Sarah Maitland, we appreciate y'all spending your Saturday morning with us, Talking Trees. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's great. Man, we just finished a little road trip that included Salt Lake City, Boise, Portland, Sacramento, just fringed the Redwoods. And every 20 years when I get to Northern California, I'm in awe. You, you think you remember how big they are, and then you see them again. And to think that started as a seed, it's incredible. And heritage trees, I mean, we walked Lewis and Clark Fort. There were trees we saw that Lewis and Clark walked around. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. I know. My son there in Portland says, Dad, we have real trees up here. Real trees. Y'all stay tuned. (laughs) Have you ever had a package stolen from the front porch? Stay tuned. We got some great tips, tactics, and products to share with you. And it's going to be 90 degrees next weekend in the desert. Is your air conditioner ready for the season? That's in the 10 o'clock hour. Stay tuned.